Cast Ball Show. Brought to you by JohnPLE.com. What the f you think is my opinion of it? I think it was f- put that in. I don't. So the tribe drops its third straight on this trip, six to one to the Rangers. For the Indians, one run on, let's say, one hit. That's all we got. One goddamn hit. Don't worry, nobody's listening anyway. I'm talking about the past, I'm talking about the history, I'm talking about what's great about this game of baseball. There's so much stuff that we talk about. I would say I wouldn't know, but I would say the reason why they want to pass is baseball going into the highest baseball sport that has gone into baseball and from the baseball angle. I'm not going to speak of any other sport. Let me start by telling you this. I have never used steroids, period. Jerry, just remember it's not a lie if you believe it. Joe Carter with a three-run homer. The winners and still world champions, the Toronto Blue Jays. And this team sucks. Well, he is out. He's out. Yes, Brady is out. Look at, look at this. Brady is out. And uh, Damon Mack. I don't want to hear to argue about other sports. I'm in the baseball business. It's been run cleaner than any baseball business ever put out in the hundred years of the present time. Sell the team. Oh, yeah. Good morning. John P. with you. Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. Of course, a reminder, if you want to keep this conversation interactive, just tweet at me, at John underscore Pielli, and obviously we'll continue the discussion there. But welcome aboard. Great to always have you with me. Um, a lot of different things I want to get into. I want to talk a little bit about the playoff races, the teams that are in the playoffs, which I think are significant, as well as a couple other things going on in Major League Baseball. Also got some interviews I'm going to play throughout the duration of this program over the next two hours. But one thing I want to start off is a little bit of a sad note. And you've heard, if you followed baseball over the last week, of the unfortunate passing of Major League umpire Wally Bell. And of course, Bell had been a major league umpire for the past 21 years and kind of goes under the radar because he doesn't have the name to him. He's not Joe West. He's not, you know, Hirschbeck or Tom Hallian or Bob Davidson. And and that's one of the good things about him. And I think a lot of people are too hell-bent on the names of the umpires. But what we realize is the ones that don't get called, that their name doesn't consistently come up in that pot of boiling water. Uh, maybe that's a good thing. Maybe, you know, the umpires that aren't continuously known for their blown calls, uh, you know, don't stand out and maybe shouldn't stand out. Now, as, a, as an umpire, obviously, Wally Bell had his share of mistakes. I mean, you could point to pretty much any umpire that's umpired a game. Listen, they've all blown calls before. And I think what stands out about Wally Bell is he wasn't a confrontational guy. He wasn't one of those baiters that you've seen guys that get out behind the plate and want to make the game about them. The bottom line is it wasn't Wally Bell's style. And here's a guy that you know went under the radar, was just a guy that went out there and did his job, and did his job for 21 years. And I re- actually remember in 1992 watching, a, I believe it was a Mets game, and I saw this umpire that was there. His name was Wally Bell, and it was mentioned that he was a rookie umpire. Well, you know, 21 years later, he's he's still doing a job, and you know, nothing's really stood out to maybe make him either great or not great. And I think what's what's good about it is you got to look at the fact that listen, most umpires are known because of blown calls 
or most umpires are known because for being really confrontational, like a Bob Davidson or a Joe West, or you know all the umpires we talk about. And I've I've got on this to you know the, to the end talking about these check swings that you go to the third base umpire or the first base umpire and ask for what they if they felt the guy swung or not. Don't make the call in front of home plate. And you know Wally Bell, of course, you know guy who you know. Did his job for a long time, and you know the, it's a very unfortunate passing. I mean, he dies of a heart attack right after umpire in the National League Division Series between the Pirates and the Cardinals, and you know not not a lot. It hasn't gotten a lot of pub. It hasn't gotten a lot of discussion. People haven't talked about it too much. It's just hey, an umpire, he's dead. But you know, here's a guy that certainly did a lot for the game. He was the umpire at home plate in the, in the uh, Mike Piazza September 21st, 2001 game. And, you know, here's a guy that leaves behind a sudden daughter. He was only 48 years old. And I, I just I just think that, you know, the game is judged by what players, managers, and, exec- and executives do to get recognition. Umpires are generally known for the wrong reasons. And I've, I've been, you know, one of many who have told, you know, try to hold umpires accountable for jobs that they, have, they haven't done properly, having a short fuse, being inconsistent. And yeah, obviously that applies mostly to behind the plate. None of that could be used to describe Wally Bell. And, you know, umpiring is one element of baseball that is the least rewarding to the most well-known. You call out names of umpires such as Angel Hernandez, C.B. Buckner, you know, and we're calling out for the bad job that they did. A guy like Jim Joyce, who has been judged as one of the best umpires in all of Major League Baseball, Became a household name because of a blown call. Joe West, Bob Davidson, I mentioned them before. They, they, they think the paid crowd at a baseball game comes to see them perform. That would never describe Wally Bell. And his name would seldom be mentioned during the duration of a baseball broadcast. Was he perfect? Of course not. You know, I mentioned him, you know, the Mike Piazza game. And actually, uh, there was a subsequent ejection of Steve Carsey after that game, who was uh, arguing balls and strikes, thought that uh, Bell was squeezing him a little bit. But I tell you, man, it's it's something that's you know you know doesn't doesn't get brought up, and I I, I do want to talk about it because I think, I mean, here's a guy in a profession that's not going to get credit for the job that he did because he doesn't have that name. So rest in peace, Wally Bell, uh, and obviously prayers go out to your family and the whole thing. And you know, as we are into the baseball playoffs, we're talking about four teams that are still around and may or may not be around by the time the show broadcasts. But you know, you got the Red Sox and the Tigers and the Dodgers and the St. Louis Cardinals. And one thing that's real interesting is you can make a case why it would be a good thing for each one of these teams to win the World Series. And I'm going to go real quick through all four teams and tell you what I would personally enjoy about seeing these teams win the World Series because you can make a case right now that it's up in the air. There's no guarantee that any one of these teams is is, is set up to win this World Series. Uh, a lot of people are favored in the Boston Red Sox because of the run that they're on and the way they feel, the you know, complexion of the clubhouse, the whole thing. You know, the Los Angeles Dodgers could be a favorite in somebody's minds because of the amount of money that they spend. And you could talk about all their strengths with their starting rotation and the lineup and everything that they got. But you can make a case for the St. Louis Cardinals, who are getting, you know, very timely pitching from guys like Joe Kelly and Michael Waka. You can make a case for the Detroit Tigers because of the way that team is constructed or dominant starting pitching. And, you know, the offensive guy is led by Miguel Cabrera. But I'm going to go through one team at a time, and I'm going to start with the Detroit Tigers and tell you, you know, if the Detroit Tigers won the World Series, who I would be the most happy for. 
And in regards to the Tigers, I would obviously be the most happy for Jim Leland, who I think is a very good manager. And I think, you know, you, you put him under the microscope a little too much in regards to the postseason play. But the guy has a pulse of his team. He doesn't necessarily do things by the book, but at the same time does what he feels is right. You know, if, if it's changing a lineup, if it's making a pitching change, if it's leaving a starter in too long or you know, taking a guy out maybe a little earlier, he does what he feels is right and isn't going to necessarily listen to what the baseball books happen to say. But, you know, guys like Miguel Cabrera, I'd love to see him win a World Series. Justin Verlander, who right now, outside of Chris Clayton Kershaw, is the best pitcher in Major League Baseball, no doubt. If you disagree with me, tweet at me, at John underscore Pielli. We'll continue the discussion. But, you know, from Verlander's perspective, from Cabrera's perspective, from Jimmy Leland's perspective, this has been a Detroit Tiger team that has been very good for a long time. And, you know, getting to the World Series in 2006 when, of course, they lost to the St. Louis Cardinals. It'd be, you know, they, they were back there last year when they lost to the Giants. This is a team that's good year in and year out now because of the team that they've built. I'd love to see him get a World Series championship, and particularly for Leland, who I'd like to see him win in a second different city, and Cabrera and Verlander, which I'd like to see them get their first World Series titles. Then you go on to Boston. And you ask, all right, the Boston Red Sox, 2004-2007, World Series champions. Now, a team that looks obviously a lot different than it did back then. A team that last year lost 93 games and looked like they had a big mountain to climb to get themselves to the position that they're in right now. They're, they're just a great story. And you look at some guys that are on that team that don't have World Series rings. Not, you know, not David Ortiz, you know, guys like that who have won two already. But this team has kind of gone through a little bit of a change and there's different types of players on that team. And, you know, even not being a Phillies fan, I'd like to see a guy like Shane Victorino win another World Series. And, you know, probably Philly fans don't even want to hear that. But, you know, Shane Victorino is a good ball player. I'll never look at him as a great player. He is not an all-star. He's not a top player in all Major League Baseball. But, but he's a very good player and fits the mold of what the, the Boston Red Sox have built and put together. And I'd like to see him win a World Series. I'd also like to see a guy like Mike Napoli win a World Series. He has a chance to be a free agent at the end of the year. I think the Boston Red Sox will bring him back. Of course, he signed a three-year contract, ended up getting switched to a one-year contract based on some concerns about his health. But, but Mike Napoli is a guy I'd like to see as a World Series champion. Steven Drew, the shortstop, is, is, is a guy who's you know gone through some tough times. You look at what happened in Arizona when, when he had that, that, that bad leg injury and the owner called him out for not coming back so soon. You know He ended up coming back when he was ready and was, uh, was certainly an integral part of the late season surge by the Oakland Athletics in the 2012 season and had a very good year for the Boston Red Sox. But another guy that I'd really like to see with a World Series championship is a guy that got beat up in his start in Game 4 of the American League Championship Series, and that's Jake Peavy. Jake Peavy is a guy who has essentially, his career has come full circle. He was a guy that was up there with the San Diego Padres when they had some good teams in the late late 2000s, uh, 2005, 2006, he pitched in the, the NLDS, not very well. But then after, after that, after winning Cy Young, a Cy Young Award and being one of the top pitchers in all of Major League Baseball, of course, Jake Peavy got hurt. And he got hurt in a way that has ended certain pitchers' careers before. Look at Brandon Webb. Look at Ben Sheets. Look at even Johan Santana. And I think Johan Santana will pitch again, but I doubt Johan Santana will ever be dominant as he was in the early part of the 2000s when he was pitching for the Minnesota Twins. But Jake Peavy has come full circle. 
He's gotten himself back to where not only he's healthy, but he's a very good pitcher. And obviously, Tuesday night or Wednesday night notwithstanding, you know, he, he's, he's, he's gotten himself to where he's a top pitcher now. You look at his numbers for the Chicago White Sox over the last couple of years, he was very good. He got himself a very good two-year contract extension, is under contract with the Boston Red Sox for the 2014 season. And here's a guy that I'd like to see win. I'd like to see him holding, you know, uh, you know, a trophy for the World Series of 2013. So that that that's on the American League side of things. We talked about the Tigers. We talked about the Boston Red Sox. We go over to the National League, and some people may say, how can anybody want to see the St. Louis Cardinals win another World Series? This is a team that has won 11. 1926-1931-1934-1944-1944-1945-1946-1947-1942-1946-1947-1942-1946-1947-1947-1947-1947-1947-1947-1947-1947-1947-1947-1947-1947-1947-1947-1947-1947-1947-1947-1947-1947-1
in regards to that. The Yankees may want a two-year deal. Carlos Beltran could get a three-year deal for 15 plus million on the open market. And you know, I don't, I don't, I don't really agree with the thought or that a whole premise of Carlos Beltran wants to be a Yankee. That whole uh, I, I love to be a Yankee thing. I don't think that really exists with Carlos Beltran. I think it was a story that was a little bit overblown, but. You know, at the same time, we're going to see how free agency ends up turning out. But, you know, Carlos Beltran by himself is, is enough of a reason to be happy for the St. Louis Cardinals if they won the World Series championship. And obviously, it moves us on to the last team remaining that I haven't talked about, the Los Angeles Dodgers. And to me, the Los Angeles Dodgers are a situation where they've drawn a lot of wrath from fans and people that say, ah, oh, you know, here they go again. You know, the, the New York Yankees of the West, they're trying to buy themselves a World Series championship. They just want to spend money and spend money and spend money. And you know what? I applaud them for that. I applaud them for, for not for not buying into people's stupidity about Moneyball and the, and the way to build a team is to just have a whole bunch of young players that are 22, 23 year olds, years old at the same time, coming up at the same time, because it doesn't happen that way. And the Los Angeles Dodgers went out there and they got good players. That Some of them may be on the overpaid side, like a Carl Crawford. You know, you talk about Adrian Gonzalez and Hanley Ramirez, and they got Kershaw and Zach Greinke and Hung Jin Ryu. And, you know, all the guys that they brought in there, they, they put the best team that they could possibly put on the field. And I don't think that's any reason to be upset with them. You know, the Dodgers are going to go out there. They got their work cut out for them. You know, they got to get themselves to a Game 7, and if there's a Game 7, they got to go out there and win it if they want to get to the World Series. And if they get to the World Series, you know what? Take a little second to reflect on some of the guys that are there, the superstars, like Clayton Kershaw. You know, guys who haven't won World Series titles like Adrian Gonzalez and Carl Crawford and Zach Greinke and Hanley Ramirez. You know, these are all guys that never got their chance to win a World Series title. And I want to see very good players win a World Series. It's sad that Matt Kemp's not going to be there. Matt Kemp is certainly the face of that franchise when he's healthy and playing well. We haven't seen that over the last couple of years. And I listen, I hope the guy gets himself back on track for next year and becomes an integral part of the Los Angeles Dodgers or any organization he's playing for. But this is a team that has enough talent. You look at a guy like Juan Uribe, who has been a very good postseason player with the White Sox in 2005, with the Giants in 2010. You know, this year with the Dodgers, he's come up with a couple big hits. You know, he's another guy that I'd like to see him win a World Series with his third different organization because that doesn't happen too often in this game and in this day and, day and age in Major League Baseball. But for the Dodgers, I'd like to see them win it, maybe win it for Kemp, who's not there. You know, a guy like Andre Ethier, you know, I'd like to see him win a World Series championship. And, you know, the manager, Don Manigley, I think, you know, most importantly, is a guy that, you know, yes, won a couple World Series championships as a coach for the New York Yankees, but never won one as a player. He played, you know, from the early part of the 1980s until the mid part of the 1990s, finally got a postseason appearance in the 1995 postseason where the Yankees lost to the Seattle Mariners in that, that, uh, that you know, very impressive five-game series, but he never won a World Series as a player. And if he could win one as a manager— I think that would stand out more than anything with the Los Angeles Dodgers. So you got four different teams, four different veteran teams that can go out there and make a point or a case why it would be good to see them win a World Series. For the Cardinals, it's definitely Carlos Beltran. For the Dodgers, it's definitely Don Manningly. For the Boston Red Sox, it's Jake Peavy for me. 
And, of course, for the Detroit Tigers, it's kind of uh, trifold with Leland and Cabrera and Verlander, all guys that I would like to see win a World Series championship. I would be happy for them. And just because I'm rooting for three player, or two players and a manager with the Detroit Tigers doesn't mean I'm necessarily rooting for the Tigers. I think you can make a case while each one of these four teams can win the World Series, and I would be happy for each one. You know, John Farrell went through a lot, you know, you know, leaving Boston to go to Toronto and then going from Toronto back to Boston and to get himself a World Series championship with his first year as a manager of the Boston Red Sox would be phenomenal, I think. You know, you look at Mike Matheny, who took over for Tony La Russa, and everybody says, hey, the Cardinals are doing good w- without La Russa, and it's just his system that's winning. Well, how about if Mike Matheny has a World Series championship? Then I think you'd look at it a little differently and start talking about him as a top manager in Major League Baseball. And, of course, we talked about Don Manningly with the Dodgers. So, you know, definitely interesting to see. Any one of these teams win a World Series, i got to be honest, I would be happy with with them for those reasons. But once again, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. We're going to take our first break of the program and be back with a lot more stuff after this. Are you searching for something different for your child's education? Consider Atlantic Christian School, where faith and quality education meet. Listen to what one of our students has to say about their experience at ACS. Atlantic Christian School is a family. Through one of the toughest years in my life, my ACS family stood beside me. My teachers were loving and supportive, and my friends shined God's love in different ways to make each day brighter. Atlanta Christian has a nurturing academic environment, and it is a second home to me. I am thankful for the school and family with which God has blessed me. Join us for Open House every Wednesday from 8 a.m. to 1 p.m. at 391 Zion Road in Egg Harbor Township. Or enroll today. Visit us on the web at acseht.org or call 653-1199. Atlantic Christian School, where character, Christ, and community count. I'm Ron Sulpizi from the MTR Sports Report. Not sure where to eat? Then listen to these reviews. Awesome. Amazing Greek food. Everything is fresh. Great family restaurant in the heart of Ocean City. Katina's is an Ocean City staple. When you've had your fill of pizza, cheesesteaks, and ice cream, head for Katina's. Katina's Gyro Restaurant, 501 East 9th Street, Ocean City, New Jersey, 609-399-5525. Check out their website, katinasfoods.com. That's katinasfoods.com. Order their famous Mediterranean dressing, and they'll ship it right to your door. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter, Katina's Greek Restaurant. In your face, all over the place. We're online 24-7-24-7. You're listening to the hottest internet station. M-T-R. Welcome back, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. What we're going to do is I'm going to segue into an interview I recorded with former Chicago White Sox outfielder Ron Kittle. And Ron Kittle had a chance to play 
couple years with the New York Yankees, but is pretty much known for his days with the Chicago White Sox. Came up in the late 70s with the Dodgers, had a very bad injury that could have ended his career. He ends up thriving, becoming a power hitter for a better part of the 1980s. So listen up here. Very good spot with former Chicago White Sox and New York Yankees outfielder Ron Kittle. Good afternoon. It's just John Pielli. I'm here with former Major League outfielder Ron Kittle. Ron, what's going on, man? Well, just trying to enjoy life. Uh, just finished the season with the White Sox. It was a long, ugly one. Uh, didn't win a lot of ball games, but I'm out in California visiting the kids right now and uh, one of my high school buddies that I grew up with. No, pretty good deal, man. And of course, you know, Ronnie had a you know, pretty good playing career. He started um, out out in the you know the late seventies when you you were uh, signed by the Los Angeles Dodgers. Um, one one thing that intrigues me was that you know you ended up suffering an injury pretty early on in your career. Um, tell tell listeners a little bit about you know what happened and you know how how it really almost ended up ending your playing career. Well, uh, it started opening day. I signed with the Dodgers on a trial camp and. Uh, Went to Clinton, Iowa. Um, my first game, I hit a double. My first at bat, Mike Sosha, my teammate, gets a single. I score, start across the plate, and the catcher lands on me, and he, uh, my neck breaks. I get, I was paralyzed at home plate. The first at bat of my whole career, and uh, it was, you know, three, three, four, five weeks before I had any mobility. And uh, you know, it's just three days, and you're an 18 year old kid in the game, and all of a sudden you start the season at 19, and you're out of baseball, but, uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to have some people look at me and uh, try to give me a second chance later on my line. Yeah, and of course, you know, obviously a devastating injury, especially for a young man who's uh, trying to make it in the game. And, you know, you end up getting to a point where you're almost out of baseball. When you're released in 1978, you end up, uh, you know, getting you know getting a regular job after that. Did you uh, did you think at any point that your career was, was going to be over? You know, after the, after my first season, and I played uh, with a broken neck. My neck never hurt, and everything else did. Uh, but it was a short season. I, I went home, got looked at by the doctors. They immediately did surgery on me, put me in a steel halo, uh, put the screws in my head, and people say they're still in there. And my career was over. I had no chance to uh, ever play professional sports, do any activity again. I was just lucky enough somebody asked me to play a pickup game. Uh, I, I, I hit a home run my first at bat uh, after a long absence. Went on the highway, almost hit Bill Beck's car, and uh, they arranged a trial for Sox Park. So I got a second chance. I'm probably the only guy that ever signed out of two tryout camps. But uh, just been very lucky to, uh, you know, Put a uniform on and have a career in baseball. Yeah, once again, John Pielli here for Major League Outfielder Ron Kittle. Now, you, know, you end up, you know, you know, you know, getting a chance playing a little bit in the minors. You know, you're 79, 80, and you end up, uh, you know, bursting on the scene in 1983. You win the American League Rookie of the Year. Uh, you put together a pretty good season. Tell us a little bit about, you know, going through the minors and, uh, you know, your uh, your debut season of 1983. Uh, uh, after breaking my neck in '77, uh, I, I lost the ability when I came back to switch it, so I never skipped lefty anymore. And I, I signed as a catcher, and uh, you know, I, I gave a first opportunity to let me play. But well, I had some success in the minor leagues. I started. I, I had to work out eight hours a day just to play eight hours a day. So it was a full-time job. Uh, I had the skills, I had the tools, but I just needed to, you know get an opportunity, so all of a sudden I started hitting home runs and made, you know, made the opening day team uh, 
and the White Sox in 83 and put together a pretty good year. But I was minor league player of the year in 82. And uh, the AAA and AA also in 81. So I knew I had some skills. But nobody ever foresees accidents taking you out of the game or possibly even ending your life. I just, like I said, I've, I've had a lot of players. I was very bitter many times. Uh, I'll get a second chance, but uh, I got it. I tried to make the most of it. Yeah, very true, man. And I'll tell you, you know, your determination ends up getting you to, uh, you know, to Chicago, which I guess you would consider a blessing in a number of ways. I mean, you you always see you always seem to have a good relationship with Chicago and the White Sox fans and stuff like that. Tell us a little bit about, you know, what went went right and how you know you, you were able to maintain such a good relationship with the fans over the years. Well, you know, I had a tough dad, and uh, he made me understand. Uh, you know, if you give everything you got. You say your peace of mind, and uh, people will like you. You know, I currently work for the Chicago White Sox now as a marketing and media and, uh, you know, charitable side of things. So they keep me busy, and, you know, and I've just always been a people person. I know what it takes to get to the top. Uh, I also know what it is to be at the bottom, you know, coming back from the injury and uh, trying, trying to get your life back together. I, I probably played my career at maybe 60% of the ability I had, you know, due to the injury. But the bottom line is I gave everything I possibly could, every single of that. Uh, my teammates and the fans understood that, and uh, I think that's the loyalty that you create with uh, the media and the fans. Yeah, that, that's awesome, man. And of course, you know, you know, for 1986 and 1987, you end up playing for the Yankees. And the Yankees, of course, at that time were, you know, you know, George Steinbrenner trying to bring as many uh, quality players, proven power hitters. Um, I'm sure you were, you were, you know, uh, you know, you were one of the guys that were on his his uh, radar. You you end up going to the Yankees for two seasons. Tell us a little bit about how that was like in 1986 and 
I didn't want to do anything else. I wanted to win. I wanted to be the hero. Uh, and I know, just like anybody else, you're going to be the GOAT more than you are the hero. But that was my temperament. I played hard. I got respect from the other players. And, uh, you know, everything just kind of was doing good. And, you know, in 84, we opened the season after clinching our division. I shattered my shoulder in the left field stand. So then it was a struggle again to come back from another, get another injury. But, you know, I took it about 10 years with a couple different teams and Yankee Alley here with Ron Kittle and you know Ron of course you know you end up you know sticking around and you know you know I think your your story tells a, a big you know you know of a very intriguing story of strength and determination because you know you, you end up you know from you, you know the initial injury that you had that could have very well ended your career completely uh, to being able to not only uh, you know play but play well and, you know, you mentioned earlier about, you know, the fact that you had to go through a lot of, uh, you know, you know, a lot of rehab and stuff and a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, you know, limbering up just to get yourself in a game playing shape. That probably took its toll on you after a while, right? Oh, absolutely. It was just like uh, one thing to the next. It, it was a battle. I mean, I had to try to get the best team in the best possible shape I possibly could be in, and I did that. And, uh but you, you kind of forget that you got to play another eight hours uh, of the games when, when the season's going on. But uh, I battled as long as I could. You know, I, you know, I was that proud of what I did. I'm proud that I played, had a chance. Uh, not, not necessarily proud of all my stats. Uh, one of them that I was just brought aware to, I finished my career, like, I think third or fourth all-time home runs for at-bats. And, you know, that, that's a great accomplishment, you know, I'm ahead of Luke Eric, I know that. And, uh, I didn't do any, and I didn't do any steroids, you know, to, the, to that back there, but, uh, uh I played one but I still played in the big leagues and it's a great honor. Yeah, absolutely, Ron. And of course, you know now you know you you got involved, RonKittle.com, the whole thing. You know, you you we're what making uh, custom benches and stuff out of baseball memorabilia. Well, I, I can make anything. I always tell everybody I was just a part-time uh, ball player, but I was a full-time carpenter. I can make anything out of steel. I make human doors. I make benches out of bats, baseballs, and bases. Uh, I make American flags out of baseballs, footballs, hockey pucks. Uh, I've always had this kind of creative. Little art kind of mind with me. Uh, I, I just like to stay busy. I just I'm not much of a, a sit still, uh, live in the past thing. I just want to go out and do something, and uh, I'm having a lot of fun doing it. I have my own charity foundation, and we we do a lot of work. A lot of my creations go for charities. I just made one for the wounded warriors, a bench that went for uh, up, up towards ten thousand dollars wow. at an auction. So I'm pretty honored about being able to participate and help everybody out. No, very true. And of course, you know, you, you end up, uh, I, don't know if, I don't know if you put it together or somebody wrote it for you, a book, uh, Ron Kittle's Tales from the White Sox Dugout, released in 2005. Uh, you know, tell us a little bit about that. <laughs> I wrote it. My line is, I'm okay. the only guy that wrote a book that never read a book. And uh, the sad thing is I'm working on book two now, but uh, it, it's me. I, I walked through every detail with it. It was recorded. Bob Logan wrote it. Uh, I mean, he did all the printing, verified everything. It was very accurate. I got a great memory for details. And it was just a, a fun thing that they asked me to do. I did it. Uh, sales picked up kind of, you know, really well on it due to a couple little, uh, that were controversial, but uh, other than that, it, it was it was fun. 
stories in it. Nah, that sounds good, man. I'm looking forward to it coming out. And listen, wish you the best of luck with you know roundtable.com and your involvement in the White Sox organization. Uh, thanks a lot for having some time today, Ron. I appreciate it. I appreciate it. Great talking to you. Hope to hear from you again sometime. Thanks. Hopefully you guys enjoy that spot there where Ron Kittle and Ron, you know, obviously a great story because, you know, in the late 70s, his career could have been done. You know, he suffers a terrible injury. He ends up getting released from the Los Angeles Dodgers and obviously makes his, uh, his, his way with the Chicago White Sox, is well-known in that area now and continues to give back to the community. So great spot there where Ron Kittle, hopefully you guys enjoyed to hear that. Um, we're going to take another break. We're going to finish this part of the show up and be back with a lot more stuff going on after this. You're listening to MTR Radio. We have ignition. Strap in. You're about to listen to the hottest sounds on MTR Radio. You're listening to MTR Radio. A flippin' out radio production. And you've got it. Hot, 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 hot. Blaze, blaze in the steel. Always covering the most current topics today. Check us out on mtrradio.com. We offer packages to advertise on our website and on MTR Radio. Get your name in front of over five and a half million people. Advertise on MTR today. Email info at mtrmedia.com for details. Welcome to mtrradio.com. You can listen to our live programming Monday through Friday. Get your voice heard by calling us at 609-910-0687 and on Facebook and Twitter at MTR Radio. Thanks for tuning in to MTRRadio.com. Check out the Android Marketplace and iPhone App Store for the MTR Radio app. 24-7 streaming live and on demand. MTR. Welcome back, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. I'm going to touch a little bit about the uh, League Championship Series in a little bit, but I want to bring up a couple important things that happened on October 12th in baseball history. October 12th, obviously, is my birthday, and I try to reflect every year about, you know, what was important about baseball. And, you know, I, I haven't done so much of this day in baseball history kind of thing, but, you know, I know we're a couple days later, about a week or so later after October 12th, but, you know, it's it, it finds itself – usually in the middle of the postseason, just like it does every year. And I'm sure several other dates could be brought up as more spectacular. I always thought that I was born on the date that the Pittsburgh Pirates clinched the 1979 World Series championship with a Game 7 victory. I was wrong. It was only Game 3. The Orioles won the Game 8-4 to four to take a two-games-to-one lead. Of course, they would eventually take a three-games-to-one lead before the, t- the Pirates came back and won Game 6 and 7 in Baltimore for an improbable World Series win. But Game 7 was October 17th. 
I'm sure that whatever day is chosen, one can find a couple interesting baseball occurrences in the history of the game as you know, the baseball history is built enough to be taught as a college class. So the question is, what did happen on October 12th in Major League Baseball history? And we start out with 1985. And Al Oliver, who's been a guest on a past ball show, came up with a big pinch hit, two-run double to lead the Toronto Blue Jays to a 3-1 to victory over the Kansas City Royals. And that also put the Jays up in the series 3-1. to What was significant about that game is the first series after Major League Baseball changed its league championship seam series format to the best out of seven after it was best of five from 1969 to 1984. Had the old format stuck around for another season, the Blue Jays would have gone on to their first World Series appearance in team history. Instead, the Royals came back to win the series in seven and followed it up with their only World Series title. In 1948, the New York Yankees named former Brooklyn Dodgers and Boston Braves manager Casey Stengel as their new manager, replacing Bucky Harris. Harrison managed the Yankees to a World Series championship in 1947, but they failed to win the 1948 pennant, which you know, ended up costing Harris's job. Stengel was an interesting hire because he, he came into his third managerial job, 161 games under 500. His only winning season, the 1938 Boston Braves, finished in fifth place at 77-75. and 75. In the days of new media, uh, you know, this will be kind of a very controversial move, similar to the Yankees selecting Joe Torre to manage the team before the 1996 season. But obviously we know what happened with Casey Stengel. But, you know, on, on October 12, 1948, he was named the manager of the New York Yankees. In 1907, the Chicago Cubs clinched their first World Series championship with a 2-0 victory over the Detroit Tigers. Led by pitcher Three Finger Brown, the Cubs won the series four games to nothing, with only one with one game ending in a tie. So it was five games. They won four to nothing, but one game ended because of a tie due to darkness, which they had a lot of problems with that in the early part of the 19, you know, the, the 1900s. But obviously, it was the first World Series appearance for each club as there will be a rematch next year with the Cubs once again winning the World Series over the Tigers. Uh, but obviously we know what happened after that. The Cubs would never win another World Series title. Hopefully they win one sometime in, in my lifetime. And obviously a lot of Cub fans are hoping it happens in their lifetime. But the next notable moment happened in 1980. The Philadelphia Phillies clinched the National League pennant with 8-7 victory over the Houston Astros at the Astrodome. This series featured four extra inning games and is probably one of the better playing LCSs in a history of that series. And the game, of course, ended with manager Dallas Green of the Philadelphia Phillies joining the celebration pile after last out was recorded. An extremely notable game on this particular date happened in 1988 as well. The Los Angeles Dodgers, this is a game that I remember very well, led by Oral Hershiser, beat the New York Mets to clinch the National League pennant. Remember me as a eight-year-old turning nine, I, I remember crying after that series because I just didn't understand. I couldn't believe that the Mets didn't win that series, and I'm sure a lot of other people agreed with me. But the improbable series win came, of course, after the Mets dominated a regular season series against the Los Angeles Dodgers. Hershiser that season was as dominant of a pitcher as there ever was in a game. He tossed an easy shutout, setting up the 1988 World Series between them and the Oakland Athletics, which, of course, was uh, highlighted by Kirk Gibson's home run in Game 1 against Dennis Eckersley. The game that stands out the most, though, Game 5, 1986, ALCS, Red Sox Angels. That's, of course, the Dave Henderson-Donnie Moore game, which could have clinched the series for the Angels. California had a 3-1 series lead and 
led in a ninth inning of that game 5-2. to two. And, of course, a series of events ended up coming before Donnie Moore gives up that home run. And a lot of people don't really talk about it because, you know, they blame the game on Donnie Moore. Donnie Moore, of course, a couple years later, can't take it, ends up killing himself. Uh, you know, over the whole thing, which is a sad and tragic, tragic moment. But, you know, what always stands out to me about that game, number one is Al Michaels' call of Dave Henderson's home run. That unbelievable, this is, we're having one for the ages here, one of the classic calls in a Major League Baseball home run I've ever heard. But, you know, I just mentioned that the Angels, of course, had a 5-2 lead going into the ninth. Mike Witt was still in the game. He surrendered a two-run home run to Don Baylor to cut the lead to 5-4. A left-handed reliever came in and ended up hitting Rich Gedman, putting the tying run on base. The Angels, of course, went to their best pitcher. Gene Mock, uh, you know, could have gone to a to to a, a bigger pitcher in that spot than Donnie Moore. That was his guy. He had done a phenomenal job as a closer for the last couple of years with the California Angels. Came from the the Atlanta Braves and kind of established himself as a top late game reliever. Moore came in to face Henderson. Of course, Henderson hits the two-strike fork ball that he kind of lunges for over the left field fence, leading to Al Michaels' call. But, you know, what also doesn't get mentioned in that game is the fact that the Angels uh, end up tying the game in the bottom of the ninth inning. Of course, the Red Sox had a run in the top of the 10th off of Moore for the 7-6 win. The Red Sox will win the next two games rather decisively to take the pennant. Uh, Also, people refer to that moment. I think that was the deciding game. At the time, the Angels had a three games to one lead, similar to what I mentioned before with the Toronto Blue Jays against the Kansas City Royals. So two straight three game to one leads end up going the other way in the American League Championship Series right after the you know both leagues decide to change the format from a five game series to a seven game series. So had that not happened through 1986, the Toronto Blue Jays would be in the World Series in 1985 and the California Angels would be in the World Series in 1986. And you know you could change a lot of different things that way, but you know baseball history occurred yesterday, you know uh, on on October 12th of this year too. You know, the, the Tigers beat the Red Sox 1-0 on one of the most interesting games that I've ever seen. The Tigers, of course, were paced by Annabelle Sanchez, who struck out 12 in six innings and gave up no hits. Three relievers kept the Red Sox without a hit for the seventh and the eighth. The Red Sox finally get a hit in the ninth as Joaquin Benoit gave out a one-out single to Daniel Nava. And the hit, of course, kept the Tigers from securing the, what would have been the third no-hitter in the postseason history of the game and the first one in the history of the DLCS. So once again, John Pielli, Passball Show, MTR Radio Network. And, of course, I just talked about the Tigers and the Red Sox. I'm going to segue into my next point, and I'm going to talk about Major League Baseball's Final Four and their World Series and pennant history because I think this is something that we don't really get into. I wrote about it, johnpielli.com, Bases Empty blog. Don't forget to check that out. Of course, if you're on MTR Media, you could just uh, backslash John Pielli, you know, get right into all my articles. But, you know, the, the, the obviously we know about the league championship series being set. We've talked a lot about it within this first hour of the program. You know, the Red Sox, Tigers, Cardinals, and Dodgers. And what's significant about all four teams is all four are very strong teams. All four have had a very good history in Major League Baseball. I know you talk about the Red Sox curse, but they've had a lot of success early on in their history and recently, and overall getting to a series of World Series. And every team that's left right now has won more than 10 pennants. So a series of World Series and pennants, all 10 or more. The same thing could be said last year. When you, sub, when you could sub for the Los Angeles Dodgers and the Boston Red Sox, the San Francisco Giants and the New York Yankees. Obviously, other teams that have had similar amounts of success. 
The Boston Red Sox are known, obviously, for the 86-year drought they had between World Series titles. Some fail to look at their success from 1903 to 1918 when they won five World Series titles. They, they won the World Series in 1903, 1912, 1915, 1916, 1918, 2004, and 2007. They lost, of course, in 46, 67, 75, and 86. Their World Series record is 7-4. and four. They won the AL pennant in 19-4, but remember with John McGraw and the, San, the New York Giants, they, they didn't want to play a World Series. They were against the World Series. They thought the National League was a superior league. So uh, there was no World Series played in 19-4, but the Boston Red Sox were the American League champions of that season. The Detroit Tigers, they've had a little bit of less success, but they've also had some. They won World Series titles in 1935, 1945, 1968, and 1984. They won AL pennants in 1907, 1908, 1939, 1934, 1940, 2006, and 2012. Their World Series record is 4-7. You go on to the St. Louis Cardinals, who I mentioned before. I talked about their 11 World Series titles in 26, 31, 34, 42, 44, 46, 64, 67, 82, 2006, and 2011. And, of course, have also won a series of National League pennants. And that, of course, started in 1928, 1930, 1943, 1968, 1985, 1987, and 2004. Their World Series record, 11 and 7. And then, of course, you move on and talk about the Brooklyn slash Los Angeles Dodgers who started in Brooklyn where they won one World Series in 1955, but several pennants. They obviously had a lot more success since moving to L.A. The Dodgers won the World Series, of course, in 1955, 1959, 1963, 1965, 1981, and 1988. Of course, they won several pennants starting in 1916 and 1920. 1941, 1947, 1949, 1952, 1953, Either the Los Angeles Dodgers will win World Series title number seven. The St. Louis Cardinals will win World Series title number 12. The Boston Red Sox may win World Series title number eight. The Detroit Tigers could win World Series title number five. But conversely, the Boston Red Sox could lose World Series number five. The Detroit Tigers could lose World Series number eight. The St. Louis Cardinals could lose World Series number eight. And, of course, the Dodgers could learn could lose what will be a Major League Baseball record 13th World Series. And I think it's all interesting things to look at because you look at the strength of these teams. These aren't necessarily small market teams with no history getting themselves back to the fall classic. But you talk about there's no Giants, no San Francisco Giants, who obviously have won two World Series in the last three years. The New York Yankees, the history that they have with everything. You can talk about several teams that have had similar type of success. But in regards to what's what's left now, you got four teams that have storied histories of winning World Series titles and obviously pennants. So it's very anxious. I'm anxious to see when we talk about it next week on a past ball show, we'll talk about what teams are in the World Series. Is it going to be Dodgers, Tigers? Is it going to be Dodgers, Red Sox? Is it going to is it going to be Cardinals, Tigers? Is it going to be 
Cardinals, Red Sox. And I tell you, each one of those World Series does have its own history. If you go back to think about it, you talk about the St. Louis Cardinals playing the Boston Red Sox in a World Series, and that's obviously something that has happened before. 1946, of course, 1967, and 2004. So that's happened three times with, of course, the St. Louis Cardinals winning two out of those three. But you got the Dodgers and the Red Sox. That's a World Series that we've seen once, and a lot of fans don't even notice or remember, and obviously a lot most weren't around to remember, but in 1916, the Boston Red Sox beat the Brooklyn Dodgers in a World Series. That was their only appearance against each other, and we talk about what could be significant about this year's Fall Classic. If it's the Dodgers and the Red Sox, you got Adrian Gonzalez and Carl Crawford and the spirits of Josh Beckett, who obviously isn't going to be able to pitch, against the Red Sox team that they left and they, they traded away those players. I think it'd be a phenomenal World Series from that aspect. But you know, moving forward, you got the Tigers and the Tigers playing the Cardinals. That's obviously something that's happened before. We talk about the three times that it's happened in 1934 and of course 1968 and then again in 2011 where the two teams met and of course the Cardinals won two out of those three series, winning in 34 and winning in 2011, and the Tigers won that series in 1968. So, so the only one that hasn't happened is the Detroit Tigers against the Los Angeles Dodgers, who have never had a Tigers-Dodgers World Series, and two very storied franchises who have had a lot of success over the last several years of Major League Baseball history have never played in a World Series. And I find that fascinating. I find the fact that you know the, the Dodgers have won 18 National League pennants and the Detroit Tigers have won 11 American League pennants and for some reason in the history of Major League Baseball these two teams have never been matched up in the World Series against each other so that's one that hey maybe maybe you should root for it you know never seen Tigers Dodgers before like we just mentioned we've seen Red Sox Dodgers albeit once but we've also seen Tigers Dodgers we've seen Red Sox Cardinals you know we've seen enough of the other World Series so that fan of Major League Baseball that wants to see a little bit of uh, of a different type of setting in the World Series that maybe you know done seeing the same teams all the time and the same teams with the storied history well how about a little bit of difference here which would be the Detroit Tigers against the Los Angeles Dodgers but you know like I said any World Series the way it shapes itself up there's enough history involved with the teams there's enough about the current teams that I think that there's a human interest story in each one of those teams winning a World Series this year so you know I'm looking forward to the next couple weeks as we finish up the 2013 Major League Baseball season but John Pielli Passball Show MTR Radio Network we're going to take our first break about five minutes or so of the program. We'll be back with a solid another hour of Past Ball Show back after this. Tune in to Jumpy Ellie's Past Ball Show. Posted by a guy called Jumpy Ellie. 